If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. A very warm welcome to you, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time with us. Great to have you with us. What we're doing today is we're going to continue our series through the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, we've done a couple of weeks so far. If you've missed any of them, please go onto our website. You can download the talks. You can catch up uh, very easily. Let me just remind you what we've got uh, so far. We, we, went, we started, we looked back at um, Genesis chapter 12, where God met a man named Abraham and gave some incredible promises to him. And we saw how this fitted in God's big story of trying to bring a people back to himself. God made the heavens and the earth, we found. Then in Genesis 3, we found it all went wrong when man rebelled and decided they wanted to be God and take God's place, and everything went wrong from there. And the rest of the story of the Bible is the story of God trying to reconcile man to himself, bring it back. And ultimately, that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And uh, we know and love him, and we've been reconciled to God through him, not by our own efforts. But this is right at the beginning of the story. And so God comes to Abraham, and he makes some great promises to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. He said, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, so I'm going to multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky. So there's going to be countless of them. And he said, I'm also going to give you land, the land you're currently wandering, and I'm going to give you for a possession for yourself. And through that then goes through um, his son, Isaac, who has another son, Jacob, who has another son, Joseph. So that's the line that we're looking at. And the, the, the promises are kind of passed on through the generation of God coming to each one saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And we see glimmers of, of, of each of those being fulfilled. But it wasn't, we also found it wasn't plain sailing. We found that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had their own personal issues. They all tried to kind of force God's hands at various points and uh, sort of say, well, you give me this promise, Lord, let me help you out which resulted in all sorts of problems. Uh, They had um, the men sleeping with their wives' maidservants to get them pregnant to try and produce an heir to fulfill God's promise of saying you will have offspring, which had led to all sorts of problems. We had deception. We had brothers fleeing from other brothers who wanted to kill them because of things they'd done. Uh, It was just, it was a real mess of a time. And so we come to Jacob as the kind of the great, uh, the grandson of Abraham, and he's had twelve sons. One of them is Joseph, and we've met Joseph, and we found out that he was his father's favourite. Joseph was the favoured son out of all the brothers, and as a result, his father gave him an expensive robe, an expensive coat, which he is known for. There's a musical about it. And so you all know about Joseph's robe, his coat uh, that he wore. And it was given by his father to one of his sons and ignored the remaining others. And so that brought resentment among the brothers. Joseph is clearly daddy's favorite. And, uh, you know, and he's going on. And Joseph himself wasn't, you know, wasn't the smartest character. And he, he, he deliberately rubbed his brothers up the wrong way. He said he brought a bad report about his brothers to his dad. So he basically told tales on them. He was a little bit proud, a little bit kind of you know, filled with arrogance. And then God spoke to him and gave him some dreams about his family bowing down to him, which, of course, being Joseph, he told them. And he went up to his, all his brothers and said, you know what, God's given me a dream, and you're all going to bow down before me. And I can imagine his brothers not being happy anyway. And then when you know, your younger brother brings this to you, you really get annoyed with him. And then he says, and there's another dream when actually none of his brothers would bow down, his parents would bow down to him as well. And so his brothers were not happy with him, uh, would be a mild understatement, because he's told tales on them, he's got these dreams from God, and he's saying, you're all going to bow down for me, he's his father's favourite. I mean, if I was one of his brothers, I'd want to duff him up 
as well. I mean, that's just the way it was. So let's pick up the story, Genesis 37, verse 12. Genesis 37, verse 12. It says, Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem. And Israel, now that's Jacob, because God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone, far, gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came to him, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard this, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit where, uh, here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, that he, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brother and said, The boy is gone, and I, where in the blood? So where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. All right, big idea of this morning. The big idea is that our life can fall apart completely, but God is still in control. Our life can fall apart completely, but God is still in control. As I read this section, I don't know what you just felt as you were reading this, but um, it reminded me of something you'd find in a soap opera. This is one messed up family, isn't it? This would make a good plot for EastEnders. You know, they're, they're, they're plotting to kill him, and then they kill him, and they're trying to cover it up. And it was something that would kind of go on for months, and then it would probably all get revealed 
over the dinner table at Christmas. That's usually where these things come out, and there will be a big kind of explosion. And so this is very much kind of a, an extreme family. I don't know what your family's like, how, how functional or dysfunctional it is, but this is just God using ordinary people in their sin and normality. And so let's just go through the passage and find out what's happening. So Joseph's brothers are off tending the sheep. His father's obviously sent them with the flock. Jacob and Isaac before him and Abraham before him were those who'd had flocks of sheep. And so he sent them off to pass the flock. What's the obvious thing here? Joseph isn't with them. The brothers have gone off to work. Joseph's at home with daddy. He's the favorite one. And daddy says, go and check on your brothers. Now, if we remember the beginning of the story, what happened when Joseph went to check on his brothers? He came back with a bad report. And so no one seems to have learned from this thing, situation. So Jacob says, go and check on them again. Check what they're doing. Joseph obviously is, is happy to go and check up them, give a good or bad report, depending on, on how they're doing. So he sets them out. And he, get, he, sends, he sent them to a place called Shechem, which is about 50 miles away from where they were. So that's about distance from here to Nottingham. So he basically says, it's not a short journey. Off you go. Go find your brothers. He goes to Shechem, which is known for good pasture land, uh, where the, the, fleet, the sheep would have been eating. Can't find them. He's wandering around and he comes upon a stranger, a guy there, and he says, well, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers with the sheep. And he said, well, I heard them say they're going to a place called Dothan, which is another 13 or so miles beyond where they were. So we've got a long way from home now. And he says, that's where they are. So Joseph obviously sets out to Dothan to look for his brothers. And off he goes um, to find them. And they see him coming, probably because he's wearing a flash coat. So they can see him in the distance, kind of, I don't know, brightly glowing over the hills as he comes down. And you can see the irony in here. The, the fact that the father has blessed him and made him a favorite, given his coat, means he sticks out. means he's on display. And so as he's coming, we know who that is. We know that's Joseph because he's wearing this coat of many colors and we can see him coming. And the brothers, something in them rises up. This is daddy's favorite, who he gave the coat. He's come to check on us. And last time he did that, he gave a bad report, got us into trouble. And so this kind of, this sort of ill feeling towards Joseph rises up in them. They remember what he said about his dreams. This guy thinks he's better than us. And as, they, as he's coming, this kind of mentality takes over. Let's teach this dreamer a lesson. Let's teach this, this upstart brother a lesson. And what probably began with just, you know, oh, we should, you know, we should hide from him, we should do that. It ends up with murderous intent. We are going to kill him. We're a long way from home. We're outside of kind of parental control. There's no one else around. We are going to kill our brother. And they kind of start to make up a plot. Well, we'll say he's been killed by a wild animal because they roam the hills here. That's all we have to protect our sheep from these animals that are roaming. And so they, this, this issue comes. And they, they, they call him derisively. They call him the dreamer, which literal translation is master of dreams. They say, well, this dreamer will kill him. And let's, then they say these fateful words. Let's see what becomes of his dream. And if you've read the story of Joseph, I don't know if you have, but I encourage you to read ahead Joseph is the master of dreams. He is the one who interprets Pharaoh's dreams one day. But these boys are just like, Ugh, let's see what's going to become of his dreams. And you can see God's sovereign hand at work here. Actually, we're going to kill him. We're going to do something with him. We'll see what comes of his dreams. So they plan to kill him and hopefully end Joseph's silly dreams if he's got. But then one of them, Reuben, who is the eldest brother, speaks up. Maybe he's kind of feeling that responsibility as the older one. Often older children in families can feel that extra level of responsibility. And he offers an alternative. And he says, well, let's not kill him, guys. Let's 
dump him in a pit. And what, what they mean by pit, um, sometimes the Bible's translated cistern, what they had in the ground there were bottle-shaped holes. So they had a thin neck and a big sort of uh, round bit was cut out of the ground, covered over, and it was waterproofed, and they used to store water there. They used to store water there so they could draw out to feed their sheep. But what it meant is if you went in it, you couldn't get out because of the thin, narrow neck, and it was kind of a wide, deep bowl. And they say, well, we'll chuck him in there. We'll just chuck him in there, and then we don't actually kill him. We'll let nature take its course, because he can't get out. He'll eventually just starve and expire. We know Reuben was planning to come back and rescue him, but he was trying to think on his feet and say, let's not kill him. We'll dump him in the, dump him in the cistern here that had no water in it, so he wouldn't drown. He'd been there, and I'll come back and rescue him later, uh, says Reuben. And the brothers listen to him and say, fine, we'll chuck him in the cistern. So... Joseph comes along, and there must have been that terrible moment where Joseph's like, Hi, brothers, how are you doing? At which point they rise up and they mob him. And that can't have been gentle. It says they got his robe off him. I can imagine Joseph protesting, What are you doing? Let go of me. And then grab him, one grab his arm, one grab his leg, one get him in the headlock, rip off his robe, which is a wonderful symbol of his place of privilege is being stripped away from Joseph. This place of being favoured son is now being taken away. And then them, them carrying him, rough handling. Everyone when you were young used to play British Bulldog, which is now banned and stuff. But we used to have great fun with it when I was a cub. When you try, what, the game of British Bulldog is you need to grab someone as they're running across the room and you need to bodily lift them off the floor. And I, I just say it's not easy grabbing a kicking, screaming 13-year-old off the floor to say, British Bulldog, one, two, three, and you'd be out. And so I can imagine Joseph kicking and screaming and all ten brothers having to wade in, grab him, pick him up and dump him in this cistern. So it wouldn't have been a a gentle affair. So they, they dump him in there and they're leaving him to die of starvation and exposure. That's effectively what they're saying. Which in some way you think, is that would it have been more humane just to stab him? You know, when you think about it. But there you go. So they, they dump him in the cistern and then it says, verse 25, it says, they sat down and ate. They just killed their brother, then they went and had tea and went and had dinner. Joseph was left starving, and they're sitting down here. They, they are kind of unfazed by their sin. Uh, what they are. That, that's how numb they'd become to it. And then in the distance, they see Ishmaelites. Now, it's important that the Ishmaelites, traders, come in. Why, did, um, why, was that, why was that put in? Why isn't it just generic traders? Because the Ishmaelites were descended from a man named Ishmael. And if we go back in the story of Genesis, you have Abraham, who was given this great promise, and he was going to have a son. And Abraham and his wife Sarah tried to force the issue with God and say, Sarah said, why didn't you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar? And Abraham, being a numpty, went along with it and said, all right. And he got the maidservant pregnant, and she had a son called Ishmael. And God said, what are you doing? I said, I would give you an offspring, Isaac, who eventually did. So Ishmael was born, and so you have sibling rivalry there between Isaac and Ishmael, and the descendants of Ishmael, and one bearing the promise of God, Isaac, and Ishmael being the child who um, God does bless, but actually wasn't the one promised the way God had promised him. And so you have that echoes here of sibling rivalry with the Ishmaelites coming along after what's just happened between brothers. So they see him coming along, and the Ishmaelites use the word interchangeably with Midianites, same group, and they're on their way to Egypt. And Judah, one of the other brothers, says, well, wait a minute, instead of just leaving him to die, we can make some money out of this. We can actually actually turn a profit. Rather than just killing our brothers, let's just kill him with money and get some money, get paid for it. So he said, if we pull him out of the cistern and we sell him to the the traders, he's gone, dead effectively. He'll go down as a slave to Egypt and never hear from him again. 
but we get some cash out of it. And so the other brother's like, oh, yeah, good idea, good idea. So they, get, they drag him back out of the pit. What do you think Joseph might have felt? Okay, I've learned my lesson. They're getting me out. Okay, I won't be such an upstart little toad to them. Um, and they drag him and say, right, we got you out of the pit. Let's take you to the traders over here, and you're being sold as a slave. I can imagine Joseph being like, what? What are you doing? And they sell him, and they get some money for it, and off goes Joseph down to Egypt. Uh, kind of written out the story. And as far as the brothers concerned, he's dead. He's gone. He's written out. Oh, little do they know. But he's gone. And then it says, Reuben, who was the, one, the elder brother, who said, I don't want to kill Joseph, and I'm going to try and save him. He'd obviously been away at that point. He wasn't present. Maybe he was off checking on the sheep. We don't actually know. But then he comes back, and he's like, I'm going to go and check on Joseph. Joseph, are you in the pit? And no response. And he's like, where's Joseph? Oh, we sold him to traders, they say. We sold him to slavery. He's gone. He's a slave. Job done. And look, we made money out of it. And Reuben, it says, is distraught at this because he had wanted to free Joseph. He had wanted to help Joseph. And now it's kind of he's gone. He's, he's, he's gone. He's disappeared. He's been paid for. Even if he caught up with the traders, they wouldn't give him back. He didn't have money. You know, he is, he is gone. And so he is, he is completely undone. He's an elder sibling feeling responsible for his brothers. Um, and so it says, now, now, so Joseph's gone, job done, plan completed. How do, we, how do we cover this up? Because when we go back to daddy, he's going to want to know where's Joseph. So what do we do? Well, we've got his robe. What we'll do is we'll dip it in some blood and we'll take it back. We'll send it back to daddy and say, oops, an animal must have got him, a wild animal. Because look, here's his robe and he's covered in blood. And so they send it on ahead. And they say, and, they say, and they, if you read the text, it's interesting. They say, is this your son's robe, not is this our brother's robe? They're trying to distance themselves from it. And Joseph inst- no, sorry, Jacob instantly recognizes it. This is my son's robe, covered in blood. And Jacob just fills in the story himself. And just he must have been killed by wild animals. He must have been um, uh, torn to pieces. And he never even considers that his brothers, his other sons, are guilty of the crime. And so he goes into mourning. He is absolutely downcast by the end. And what happens is he tore his clothes um, and had sackcloth and this kind of thing, which is just traditional sort of mourning. But it says he was deeply in mourning. He says, I'm going to go down to sort of death myself, mourning my son. It was something very deep and very real for him because his favored son has God. And then in an irony, which is sickening when you think about it, it says that the brothers, the sons and daughters, rose up to comfort him. So effectively, the murderers were then comforting their father over the murder they had committed. And it said they tried to comfort him, um, but jo- uh, Jacob wouldn't be comforted. He was just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with grief at the loss of my son. And then right at the end of the passage there, we have, um, it says that he was sold uh, in Egypt. So Joseph uh, made it to Egypt, but he was sold as a slave into the household of a man named Potiphar, who was a captain of Pharaoh's guard. And we will pick that up. Uh, next week what happens with Joseph because his brothers thought he was dead I'm not going to hear from him again but God has got other plans for Joseph so three things I want to pull out of this um, for us to learn today first one our circumstances can change very very quickly our circumstances can change very quickly have you ever been in a situation like that, where you kind of had plans or you thought things were going well and this is kind of the direction my life is on and then something happened and everything changed. Look at Joseph. He was the favoured son. He was 
gifted with this coat that was a, a place of status. So he was highly valued. He was kind of the head one around there. He's the one who had the love of his father. He, he had incredible dreams from God. He had a calling, a purpose, and he, he knew it, and he under, kind of understood it. And so for him, everything was going well. And then in a space of less than 24 hours, everything changed. He went from son to slave. And just like, and it seems he had no idea it was coming. Because if he did have an inkling he was coming, he wouldn't have gone to see his brothers on his own. <laughs> when daddy had said, go, he'd be like, oh, no, 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 you come with me or I'm taking the guys with the clubs, you know, just to protect me because it's like, you know, they're going to try and kill me or anything. But he just went blindly, naively, and everything changed. He was beaten. He was betrayed by his brothers who should be defending him and loving him. He was sold for sla- into slavery and effectively written off as dead. And I don't know what's your life like. What's your life like been to date? Has your life been kind of going in one direction and then suddenly something's happened and everything's changed? Because we, it, it can happen in just an, a moment. It only that takes a single phone call to shake everything in your life just one phone call I'm sorry there's been a terrible accident we're restructuring the company and your services are no longer required I've got the test results back and the diagnosis is not good everything in our life can be shaken in just an instant have you been, has God spoken to things to you that you kind of live with? You think, I feel God's called me to that, but yet they seem so distant and far away. And actually where I am right now here in this room, it feels like I'm a million miles from what God's called me to because of circumstances and changes have come your way. Have you seen change in your finances, your work situation, your health, relationships you've been in that have just kind of changed everything and caused you to kind of be shaken and everything needs to be reassessed. And the reality for us as believers is God never promised us an easy life. He never did. He never promised us that life would be easy and things would go well for us. He actually promised the opposite. It says in Acts 14.22, it says, Through trials and tribulations will you enter the kingdom of God. And if you just look at the early church, you can see that. Jesus says, very clearly, we looked at it and we preached through John. He says, you will have trouble in this world, he said. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. And Jesus was the example of himself, having trouble in this world. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. But he was very clear up front, you will have trouble in this world. And this can butt up against Western uh, mindsets that we hold. And we, we can think, we, we value stability, we value comfort, we value luxury, we value pleasure, we value kind of material goods, we value social lives and social settings and leisure time and we can equate those with the blessing of God and I think they are. God does bless us with lots of good things but actually we can, we can get to a point where we're in, we feel entitled to them. I deserve that God because we, we tried out a list. I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I'm a good person. I've followed your call, I've been obedient, I've been faithful. And we, we, we find ourselves thinking, actually, we deserve those things. But actually, God never promised those things. And he said, actually, you're gonna, I've saved you for a purpose, but it's never going to be easy. And things might change, my plans might move, and you might not see it coming, what's happening in your life. And there are, there are three things that kind of can lead us to this. 
that can kind of cause our circumstances to change very, uh, very kind of drastically. The first one is our own sin. Joseph was a prideful little boy, okay, who enjoyed being top dog and the privilege and the favor of his father. And that caused, not unsurprisingly, huge resentment in his brother. Now, he, brothers, he obviously didn't think they were going to kill him, but it did, and he didn't seem to be bothered by that in the slightest. His own sinful, prideful attitudes led to his downfall. That doesn't excuse the actions of his brothers, but he, was a, he played a part in that, what he was doing, the way he acted. And we can do that. We can do things in our lives. We make our own mistakes, our own errors, our own sinful actions can cause things to happen in our workplace, in relationships, um, in life in general, and things can change because of our own silly decisions we made. I remember when I was at Sixth Form College and uh, I'd come out of school and I'd gone to Sixth Form College and I was doing my A-levels and then after that uh, was a possibility of university and I kind of, I fancied the idea of university, it seemed like a bit of a laugh, a bit of a doss, so I thought, oh I like university and there was a particular courses I like the look of that looked like fun and interesting and I enjoy them and um, I applied for some places and they gave me some offers as they, they, they do now where you say if you get this you can come here and I thought brilliant and they seemed like kind of fun places and I thought this is, I can see where my life is going, I can see where it's going when I finished here, I was in Sussex at the time I will go to these universities over here and do these courses which I looked in and they looked like quite a lot of fun and I'll do it and then I also checked out what the college and the university would be like and think it looked like it had a good social scene and lots of things to get involved in, I love playing sport they had sports teams and stuff, I thought oh, this is brilliant this is going to be wonderful, however I'd actually failed to do much work at college. My work rate was really quite low, while my social kind of just interaction with the student populace was fairly high. And so actually when it came to kind of results day, and I was like, this is good, I've got a couple of choices, I've decided which one I want to go to. Um, When I got my results back, it was a little bit of a, oh man, oh dear, I'm not going to either of those. And they both said, not a chance in hell are you coming here with those results. And it was like, oh man. And so I suddenly found I had reaped what I had sown. And I had this kind of moment where I was just like, oh my giddy on. And I had to go home and tell mum and dad and say, what did you get? And say, well mum, you'll never guess what I got. <laughs> Terrible results. And mum and dad were very gracious and calm with me. But it was, I was a complete kind of like... I had, I'd messed up and so I was kind of left and I had to redo a year at college and redo my A-levels and I was suddenly a year ahead of everybody else, really behind everybody. And it was just it was this really horrible time for me. But it was, all, it was all my own fault. It wasn't like anyone hadn't bothered with me or I hadn't been warned, I hadn't been told. I messed up and it basically changed the direction of my life at that point. Now God is good and he can work things out but that were my mistakes, my errors. The second thing that can happen is other people's sin. Other people's sins and actions can come and change your directions, change your lives. Joseph had brothers who wanted to kill him. Okay? He wasn't responsible for their actions. They're responsible for their actions. They decided to kill him. They beat him up, threw him in a pit. So we won't kill him. We'll sell him, into slave, sell him um, to slave traders. And I have two brothers. I don't know if you've got brothers. I'm one of two brothers, and I'm the middle one. Okay? Which obviously means I was overlooked and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You know what it's like? Any other middle children here? 
I, f- I, know, I know what it's like, okay? I'm just saying that. Older ones and younger ones just have so much better time. So, but I wanted to kill my brothers a few, few, few times. I had that thought, like, if I could just duff you up. When you, I used to share a, brother with, a room with my younger brother, and sometimes I'd get up in the night and just punch him and get back into bed. Just because if I was wound up with him, confessional time, you know, and he's just, just so annoying. And then I'd jump back into bed and be like, what? Mm-hmm, no, no. No idea what you're talking about. But I never actually wanted to kill him or ever went through it. But I had those kind of like, don't like you sometimes. Um, but Joseph's brothers actually wanted to kill him. And they actually went through with the deed. And they did it. And they lied and covered it up. And they, you know, they went through with this stuff. And, and what happened as a result of Joseph, in that sense, was a victim of their sin. He had played his part in kind of bringing that to a head. But at that point, he was a complete victim. He hadn't done anything. All he did was turn up effectively, and they, they leapt on him, beat him, and, and then did everything else they did. And that changed the course of Joseph's life completely. It just sent him on a totally different course. He was, you know, at home, this is where I had a privileged place, and this was good, and then suddenly I'm a slave in a foreign land. don't know if he spoke the language, we don't know anything, he didn't know the culture. He was just suddenly somewhere else. And someone else's sin had brought it to that point. And I've had experiences, I've had experiences of that in my life. I remember when I was working in a job, and um, it went wrong because um, the, the bosses over me basically decided they wanted to, I didn't need to be there. And effectively, um, I was run out of the job. I kind of felt a victim in it, didn't really kind of know what was going. And it basically meant Mel and I leaving. I had to leave the job. We had to leave the town. We kind of went in because we moved on. But we were sort of victims of, uh, of what it felt like attack on me. And so I was like, what's going on? I felt something has led us to this point, and it, the repercussions meant moving town, moving church, and um, were huge. And we kind of bore the scars of that, and we had to go through kind of prayer and sort of just working that through and forgiveness things. But we were the victims of something else, and it completely changed our lives. It completely changed where we were, um, and it's led us to this place. And so we were we were victims. So sometimes it's your own mistake. Sometimes it's the the sin of others that kind of move and change your um, your situation. The third thing that can happen is our circumstances can be changed just by circumstances themselves. Joseph was just told to run an errand. Very ordinary event. Dad said, "Go and check on your brothers." All right, off I go. Go and check on his brothers. His brothers were like. We're not going to kill him. Oh, look, there's traders over there. Just something happened. Let's sell him to them. Just ordinary situation. When he got to Egypt, he um, was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was just one of the guys looking for a new servant in the house. Goes to the market where they must have been. Goes to the traders. I'll have Joseph. He can come and work with me. Ordinary situations can change our life. Things that you just, just happen to us and they can change the course of our life. I remember that for us when we were, felt God called to come and plant a church and start a church. We basically felt this sense of call very strongly that it was time for us to go from where we were. We felt that God say, you're going to go to a city. And I was like, great, we can go and we're going to go to a city. And you think there are lots of them in England. We felt very strongly it would be in England. Which one? And we didn't, literally didn't have a clue. We were like, well, there's lots of them, you know, and you, you know the big one. Well, that's London, and there's Birmingham, Manchester's pretty big, and they all need churches, and there are many other places. And then we went to um, those who were kind of responsible for the church oversight and just said, what do you think? This is our call. Where do you think we should go? And they said, we've got the perfect place for you, Birmingham. And we're like, never been to Birmingham in my life. 
I've heard of it, never been to it. They said, you should go to Birmingham. In fact, go to this place called Sutton Coalfield in Birmingham. And I thought, never heard of that either, but I'll go and have a look. And Melanie go and came, came up here, had a horrendous argument, vowed never ever to return on our, ever. Um, and then we came and planted a church here. But circumstances for us were just things that happened. You know, they, they could have suggested anywhere and we'd have gone and looked because we just felt open. This is what we feel God said, but outside that we didn't know. And they said, come here and the rest is history. That's why you're sitting in this room. Because God called us. And that was just circumstances that changed um, our situation, our life. And I don't know, what's, what's your life like? What brings you to this room right now? If you reflect back over your years, what are the, the kind of crossroad moments? What are the things you think, because that happened, I went this way rather than that way? What's ahead in your future? Because the reality, I think what this story tells us is, is that God can change your circumstances in a moment. And things can happen this afternoon, this week, in what's going on. And I want us to be aware of that as the church, that God can do things that change, change our lives radically and very quickly. And how do we react to that? How do we live in that? We, we shouldn't live fearfully. We shouldn't be like, oh no, what's going to happen? We have to kind of be proactive. And I think God's asked us to do two things today. The first thing he'd love us to do is to hold lightly to the things of this world you have a job you have a home you have a family and they're all kind of important for what they do and they're all gifts from God but actually there's a sense of we don't have a right to any of them and God they can change very very quickly and so we have to have an attitude what I find most helpful for me is my name Stuart actually means steward I don't think I was given that name uh, by chance and so for me, I always find it very helpful to view everything as a steward. Now, what a steward does, a steward never owns it. A steward just looks after it for somebody else. That was the role of the steward. They had a very responsible position, but they were basically looking after it for the master. And I try and look at things like that. I'm looking after something for someone else. My wife, my children, this job as pastor of the church, you guys, everything else, friends I have, the house I'm living in, I am taking care of it for someone else. And trying to live with that attitude, actually, we're to hold lightly to the things of this world. We don't have a right or an entitlement to them. We're to hold lightly to them, but I think on the converse, we're meant to hold tightly to God and his word. Hold tightly to God and his word. Hold tightly to the things he said to you, the truth we find in the scripture, the things he says, I'll never leave you and I'll forsake you. I have good plans for you. I've called you for a purpose. We're to hold tight to them so much that we, we get them in our life and we live them out day by day. And the more we do that, the more we'll have the rest of our life in perspective. So in response to this kind of our circumstances changing very quickly, hold lightly to the things of this world, but hold tightly to the things of God and the things that God has said in his word. All right, number two. These will be a bit quicker and then we'll finish. Number two, God is in control. God is in control. Our circumstances can change very, very quickly. Joseph's did, and we'll see more of it later. It happens again. God is in control. If we take a step back from the story of Joseph, and we look at the bigger story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises God has given to it, we know that Joseph's part fulfills that promise. That fulfills that promise. And if you've read the end of the story of Joseph, which if you haven't, please go and do that, just so you can get, kind of get where this all fits. What God is doing in Joseph's life is putting him in a position to save his family. 
Joseph is going to save his family. The dreams that he had are going to come true. They will bow down before him, and we'll see the circumstances. Joseph is going to save his family, so God's promise to make them a mighty nation will come to pass. God is in control, even in the most horrendous, horrific circumstances. And the, God, the promises that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and his children, offspring beforehand, jo, jo, God is using Joseph to fulfill that, to work it out. Because God behind everything is in complete control. Even through trials, even through waiting, even through testing, God is sovereign over all things. And I don't know how you reflect on some of the things you've happened in your life. Those three circumstances I, I told to you about my college, uh, being far from my job, and uh, coming to plant the, the church here, as I reflect back, I see God's sovereign hand in it. If I hadn't been fired for that job, no, let's go back. If I hadn't failed my A-levels, I wouldn't have got to the university where I um, got saved, baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, went on the year project to the town where I met my wife, got the job that then I got fired from, which then moved me to another church, another town, where I gathered a team and came and planted the church here. When I went through each of those circumstances, if you'd said to me, Stuart, would you like to change these? <laughs> I'd have gone, yeah, right now. But God worked it all out, and the result is you guys sitting here. And that is just the sovereign, wonderful, gracious hand of God. And I don't know how you view what's happened in your life. If you reflect back over things, can you see the hand of God in it? Because I can assure you it's at work, even if you can't see it all. And more importantly, what you're facing right now. Some of you will be living things right now that you think, God, where are you? And I can assure you, based on his word, my, my own personal experience, and even for you, some of your own personal kind of history, God is in control. He is working the things out. And we sometimes, he doesn't work it fast enough for us. and He doesn't work it the way we want. But he is working. And the reality is his plans are better than ours. And his plans are good and perfect and right, and they will come to fruition. And so for us today, how do you respond to it? I would say to you, study this story. Read this story. Read this section again tomorrow in your quiet time. Just get it in you that actually, despite what's going on around us, God is at work. God is in control. God is moving forward. Read the rest of the story. And actually just remind yourself, God is working his purposes out. Remind yourself of the promise of Abraham and see how the life of Joseph kind of fulfills them and carries them through. And what you're doing. Last thing. Last thing and then we will finish. Jesus is a better Joseph. Jesus is a better Joseph. The promises that were given to Abraham and followed by Isaac and Joseph and his sons and their descendants beyond ultimately were fulfilled in Jesus. Jonathan said out the front at the beginning of this meeting, we're all about Jesus here. Ultimately, everything comes back to Jesus. And this story ultimately ends in Jesus. If we think about the story of Joseph, Jesus is a better Joseph. Joseph was on a mission of concern to his brothers, find out what's going on. Jesus came to earth on a mission of concern to find his people who were lost. Joseph was beaten and betrayed by his own. Jesus was beaten, betrayed and murdered by his own. His own disciples were involved, and then his own people who he had created. Joseph was given over to worldly authority. He was kind of given over as a slave. He was kind of powerless in that. Jesus willingly gave himself over to the authority of the the religious leaders um, at the time and the Roman authorities, which led to his death. Joseph was left for dead. Jesus actually died in our place. 
And there was even a father who lost his beloved son when Jesus died on the cross. And so for us today, I want to end it by bringing us back to Jesus. When we face trials, hardships, sudden changes in our lives, we come back to Jesus. When we're betrayed by those around us, those close to us, we come back to Jesus. When the dreams God has given us seem so just so distant and so far away, we come back to Jesus. When things seem that we thought were firm get completely shaken by circumstances, events, we come back to Jesus. And when we feel everything is out of control and spinning away from us, we always come back to Jesus. Jesus is the one we kind of always put our focus, our hope, and our trust in. Because he's the only one who cannot be shaken. He's the only one who will never change. He isn't affected by circumstances around. He is, he is constant, eternal, and he is good and loving and kind and wants good for us. Do you want to stand? I'm going to kind of pray. Band, do you want to come back and get ready? And we're going to worship now. Do you just want to close your eyes? Engage with God. I just, I want to put our eyes on Jesus. But I also want you to be mindful of where you are in your life right now. I want you to reflect back on recent history for you. What's gone on in your last life over the last uh, few years, five years, ten years? And, you, and if there are things in your life that you feel kind of almost like, what happened there? <laughs> what was going on at that moment? I want us to take an opportunity now for you to give that over to Jesus. And I say maybe you didn't understand it. Maybe you can't see his hand at work. You don't know how God will work it for good. I want you to just be able to say, Jesus, I'm just going to give that to you. Whatever it was, uh, a painful situation, they invariably are, you know, a health situation, a work situation, a life situation, whatever it was, just take a moment now and give that over to Jesus. And say, God, I, I trust you above everything because you never change. And I don't know what you're facing right now in this moment. Some of you might literally be living with the ground shaking a bit beneath your feet right now. And I don't have a a pat answer for you uh, or something just trite that I can trot out, but I can say Jesus is in control, even when it feels like it's out of control. And I just want to pray for you now that you would know that. And that God will work it out. And he might change it in an instant to good. Or it might take weeks, months, years to kind of fully process. And if you're like that, maybe you want to open your hands. And you, you want to bring a, a kind of a situation before God. A family situation, financial situation, a health situation, a work situation. Whatever it is. Bring it now before Jesus. And I'm going to say, Lord God, I want to thank you that you are in control. I want to thank you that you are sovereign over all things. I want to thank you that nothing escapes your notice. (laughs) You're not caught off guard when things happen like Joseph was. You You know all about it. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are a better Joseph. That everything you he experienced, you experienced way worse and way more. Lord God, I want to thank you that you've called us into a relationship with you. That we might know you, we might be with you forever. Lord God, and I ask that your peace would come 
by the Holy Spirit to us now and fill our hearts and minds. Lord God, God, I pray for the miraculous to break out. God, if you can break in in divine situations, I just pray for that. Lord God, but I pray that you would work in people's heart. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And God wants to change you and conform you to the likeness of Christ, Lord. And I pray that through the situations we're facing now, you would do that for your glory, Lord. I pray you would cause us to be men and women who have eyes fixed on you. Eyes of faith that kind of rise above the circumstances, however difficult and painful that would be. Lord, I pray you make us a people who would support and love one another through it. Even when we haven't got the answer, we can just stand side by side and say, I'm just standing here with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm just going to sit with you because I love you and for you. Lord God. Yeah, Lord, let your peace come now on your people, Lord. Thank you, Lord.